0: researcher and professional photographer, Emma Phillips, join us for a conversation all about the aesthetics of sexualization. Together we talk about middle-class disgust, respectable femininity, and letting go of the male gaze. Y'all, this episode was timed so cosmically, right? I was in a intro to feminist therapy class talking about all these ideas and then Emma comes on and I just, wow, did I we went to so many fun places and so many conversations that I was dying to have on the podcast of just like how prevalent the patriarchy is. And also at the same time, are we at this point in society where we can start, instead of focusing on how we're received within a patriarchal lens, actually think about what we want as women and what is the feminine gaze. How do we want to be known in the world, right? And can we locate the power within that? rather than the inevitability of sitting in the patriarchal mush that is our culture. If none of that makes sense, don't worry. Like, you're going to dive into this conversation with Emin and I about all of that. And I hope you walk away with even more questions and things for you to chew on and think about later, y'all
1: Whole Foods Market. I was in Chicago in I think it might have been January and I didn't I didn't have anything to cover my head oh, or no. my ears because I just I don't think I'd experienced that cold in Australia. Mm, <laughs> I was, was unprepared. Mm-hmm, I had mm-hmm. to go inside to get out of that wind yeah. just to get my ears. Anyway yeah, I learned yeah, yeah, a hard yeah. lesson.
0: <laughs> I'm lucky. You're lucky you're still alive you know like with Chicago you never <laughs> right. know out here. It's crazy. Yeah. Yeah well my day has been going well too. I was just working on my dissertation, trying to put in some oh, yeah. time on that,
1: that long How's, how's it call. going? It's a slog, isn't it?
0: Yeah. It's early and and half the time you're just like, am I doing the right thing? Am I going in the right direction? Mm. You know, yeah. like, uh, but you just, guess, I guess you just trust yourself and you keep
1: going and. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. How about you? How are far you- in, I,
1: yes. sorry. How Go far in are you?
0: I am early. So I'm only finishing up my second year of studies and then I have to have it done by the end of my fourth year. So I'm still mm-hmm. like just in the beginning stages of trying to do my lit review yep. and that whole process before I actually break out into my own study.
1: Yep. Great. Yeah, I found yeah. that, I don't know about you, but I found that first year really quite torturous. You know, it's just because you know what you want to do mostly but there's this great, I just, the rabbit holes that open up and the way, you know, the way the areas, yeah, 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 yeah. You know, mm-hmm. and I just feel like I would, I would, I would go into something and then I would critically think my way through that and then critically think that and critically think through that. And it was just too many, you know, and where do you pull it in and what parameters do you put in place? And,
0: <laughs> great and new to, we're new
1: to it, right? So it's like, how do you even do this thing?
0: <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Cause I could go anywhere with it. My topic is um, relationship anarchy. Oh, great.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Cool. So
0: I could, I mean, I could talk about the history of monogamy probably for like you know a whole book yeah. in and of itself. So then, yeah, like yeah. where do I contain myself? And especially because there's no literature on this topic at all. So then that makes really it even, yeah nah, And There's one article from a feminist in Spain that talked about the practice, but beyond that, nothing. Wow. So then it's almost like where do you go? You know, how do you right. define something that doesn't have you know literature to even talk about? So which is fun. And also, yeah, very much so in the dark of like, which direction is the right way.
1: That's great that you're doing it though. I mean, obviously there's a massive need for this conversation to be raised. So, you know, all power to you.
0: Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. So are you done with your dissertation and PhD? Congratulations.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Oh yeah. Yeah. And you know that, that last kind of maybe three or four months got to be a little bit hellish because Mm. obviously that you know, finishing the writing is one thing, and I felt like I had done that and I had my supervisors kind of going, yeah, you finished, you know. Yeah. And then there was just all this admin from the uni and a whole lot of stuff and feedback from um uh, examiners, as well. Like one examiner passed it, no problem. And the second examiner was like, no, we could tweak it here and there. And it was just by that stage, I was so done with it. Yeah. But it was, it felt almost traumatizing to look at the screen again and do any more work, you know?
0: Absolutely. I mean, with respect
1: to people who have been through actual trauma, but you know. Right,
0: right, 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 right. Yeah,
1: very loosely speaking.
0: Sure, yeah. I mean, it's like you've already ran the marathon, and then at the end, they are yeah. like, Can we add a couple
1: more so miles? Go back a few, yeah, that's right. Yeah,
0: exactly, you're like, No, no, yeah, signed up yeah. for this. This is what I'm doing, but yeah,
1: yeah. What was your topic on? So, mine was it was called the aesthetics of sexualization. So, I'm a photographer, you probably picked up on this, but I'm a uh, commercial professional photographer that I've been doing mm-hmm. that for about 10 years, so I have this sort of weird trajectory where I out of high school went and did a humanities degree which I never finished because I was too busy with other things that were not about study yeah um and then I you know took off for a couple of years to another state in Australia and did nothing for a while I came back um made vaccines for a little while and was just shooting and I was yeah another like another lifetime and I was just shooting all the time I had my own camera and my girlfriend at the time was like you need to do this more seriously I was like "Mm." And I did, I quit my full-time job and, you know, nice. applied for the, there's a really good uh, photography school in Melbourne where I grew up. So I did that. And yeah, anyway, you know, the rest is history kind of thing, never completed the degree. And then some years down the track into my professional career, I started teaching back at mm. RMIT just casually. It was kind of nice to supplement the income and just have sure. my head in, you know, a space that was critiquing it as well. And I, then I had friends there who said, Hey, you should think about doing your PhD. And I was like, you don't get fucked basically what are you talking about <laughs> exactly I mean seriously <laughs> and it took a few years and I finally ended up getting my degree through doing an honors year I don't know if you I don't know if Americans have honors, no, yeah, honors tell me about it's that. like a, no. it's kind of like the masters but like a step okay. before sure masters so in Australia you can get into a PhD through you've got your regular degree and you have to get another year on top of that at least. So you okay. can do a year of what they call honors. So it's like a bet you might get a BA with honors or or a master's, you know, with whatever result. And they're more or less the same. Sure. And sure. then you can okay. you sort of qualify for PhD. So yeah, so I did that. So I've kind of been, I've been in this weird space of transitioning from doing professional photographic work. And I'm talking about like uh portraiture for magazines and advertising mm-hmm. and kind of you know, Marie Claire, Rolling Stone, a lot of music stuff. Things yes, I love. It's been great. Oh, yeah. It's been really great. Yeah. But um I just I got to a point where I was getting really sick of client requests that were pretty tedious around gender roles especially and you can I mean some were great there were some really the ones who wanted to take risks and do something different but just that whole you know women being demure and quiet in photos and the the typical male role as well and so binary and Mm. I was just getting bored with it and I'm like all right I'm going to do this PhD thing now (laughs) so I've rolled my commercial photography into this thing and I'm looking I looked at um, like what aesthetics can tell us Mm -hmm. about the ways that women's sexuality is judged. So to, to give that some more um, flesh on the bones, I Mm -hmm. guess it's like I engage with women who take sexy selfies Mm -hmm. and put them all over Instagram and the kind of Kim Kardashian, you know, aesthetic, if you like, and kind of compared that with sexy aesthetics that exist in the professional photographic world. So for example, I always think if Kate, Kate Blanchett, the actress, she's Australian. I'm so mad with names. No, it's cool. She's just like this really well-known, you know, very respected actor. Right. Mm -hmm. And I'd say if she took a sexy selfie, we'd all be like, oh, you know, great. Put it in, put it on a gallery somewhere. Right. Sure. But if every day Susie Jones takes a sexy selfie, she's a slut. Right. So it's that kind of, and what is it about the, the actual aesthetics in the photo that tells us, you know, where it belongs in the visual hierarchy, Mm. right. How it, so, and you know, the old thing is like, the middle class are defining what sexy aesthetics are okay and what kind of sexy aesthetics are not okay. Mm -hmm. Because I don't think feminism says, no, no, sexiness is out. Feminism allows some forms of, you know, bodily display, representation. Absolutely. As long as that's in an art gallery, as long as it's in quality literature, you know, right, it's kind of high-end stuff.
0: Mm -hmm. But
1: anything that's like uh, low class, so to speak, mm -mm, you know. And the discourses that come out of that, I think, in middle-class feminism are kind of like the concern, discourses of concern, oh, she's at risk. You know, she's at risk of being objectified by the patriarchy. She's a dupe of patriarchy. Um, you know, she will be open to predators on Instagram, you know, male predators on Instagram, blah, 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 blah. And yep. I think a lot of those discourses of concern really just mask a kind of uh, disgust for what the woman is doing, a middle-class kind of disgust you know, I actually don't like your aesthetics are a bit disgusting. You know, yep. that kind of, that's really what's what, really what's going on, I think.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you're pointing out the gosh, what's the word for it? The um the double standard. Yeah. You know, of yeah, the, the middle class uh ownership of sexuality compared to, yeah, stardom, fame, you know, that almost there's a different um lens there for art art and artists to be able Mm -hmm. to show the body in a different way compared to, yeah, normal humans, I mean, or everyday humans, whatever words we want to use to describe that. I mean, where do you think that binary comes from that like dichotomous thinking where this is good, this is bad? What do you think that's really rooted in at
1: the core? Yeah, that's such a great question. I think I did a lot of thinking on this and I, I don't have a, a, you know, a solid answer for you, but I think sure. a lot of it really falls back on. I mean, we can always point the finger at religion <laughs> and yeah.
0: yeah <laughs> yep. I'm here
1: for it. It's always point the finger at religion, you know, with whatever is going wrong, I yes. think. Um, and I looked also at, I mean, you know, all stuff around sort of Victor- middle class, middle and upper class Victorian uh, ways of being mm. that, were designed to exclude the working classes. So the obvious thing of, you know, the, the rules around cutlery use, right? Mm, so mm-hmm, if you mm-hmm. don't have to use the cutlery properly, that's because you didn't come from a particular class where those rules were conveyed to, you know, children and each other. And it's a marker of that class. So it's designed okay. so that if you come in and don't use the cutlery properly, we know you're an interloper. We can tell you're from another class. So it's a marker of that class. And it's designed to, you know, put barricades up against lowly classes from entering that space and I think you know it it, maybe to some it sounds like a stretch but I really think it's the same kind of thing when we're talking about sexy aesthetics Mm -hmm. you know it's like I'm gonna say that this kind of sexiness is okay refined artsy in a gallery maybe in high-end fashion magazines even Mm -hmm. in advertising but not if you're actually taking photos of your own body, you must be a dupe of patriarchy. Mm. And I see that as a way to mark my boundary, my middle-class boundary. I don't want your disgusting aesthetics inter- interloping, if you like, or interfering with my, you know, middle-class uh, way of being.
0: Sure, it's a- sure.
1: It's about taste.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I'm thinking about maybe the different intentions between the spaces. I mean, someone could argue that like, oh, art is for the art, not for the sexual opportunity that maybe a selfie is projecting into the world. But I mean, even that is defining the purpose of what the selfie is and other sorts of things within your own lens compared to maybe a whole different intention by the person posting it. I mean, it is imbuing a lot of things onto Mm. their post that exactly what you're hitting at is that middle-class... Containment, classist.
1: Yeah, thinking. yeah, totally classist. Containment is a nice word, actually. Mm. I think,
0: mm-hmm. and I, and
1: I think you know, in this era of this sort of fears around so-called sexualization or you know raunch culture, the whole Ariel Levy mm. theory about women becoming too you know too raunchy and, and sort of an internalized misogyny, oh. just just doesn't give room for the myriad number of sexualities that women can present. It's supposed to be a proper you know gentle femininity um you know quiet reserved respectable you know respectable Mm -hmm. is the word right Mm -hmm. and if she's not displaying that she's somehow uh unfeminist unfem, not feminist enough
0: absolutely and so then could you say more about the critique of raunchy for maybe a listener who hasn't heard about that what would be the critique of being fully in your sexuality and embracing that what's the critique
1: yeah, sure. So I guess the, you know, I'm sure you know this very, very well, but the, the the idea of this kind of raunch culture that we're in, this has probably occurred from maybe just after the turn of this century. You know, mm. there's been a lot of, um, I would say, middle class, generally white feminists, often academic feminists, who've turned their lens towards what they're calling a, a hypersexualization of what they say children, but they really generally mean girls, girls and women, young mm. girls. Mm. And that, that is that they are becoming too sexual too early, you know, and that, that looks like stripper culture or, you know, the the sort of the, the bodies we see in music videos and things like that that are too much. Tits and ass, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's this, this word too much comes up a lot. It's like too too much for whom? What's the you know? What standard are they trying to apply? That that yeah. So so hyper raunchy is apparently not a good thing according to these mainstream feminists. You need to pull it in a little bit. And I guess for me, um, this this kind of and I'm just going to dig into very briefly a little feminist theory. I won't stay there long. Love
0: it. You can, we can do this for the whole hour. I'm listening. <laughs> it,
1: it just, it just falls back into the, you know, the feminist, the old feminist sex wars that occurred and it started, I shouldn't say occurred. I mean, they're still going, but it, it started in the early eighties and there was a conference. Uh, it was the Barnard conference, I think, where there was a real push by kind of, you know, mm. uh, that the sort of the later stage second wave feminists who went, you know, we haven't really allowed uh, an, a range of female sexualities to, Come to the fore here, whether that's queer sexualities, whether that's how I want to display my body for you, what I do in my bedroom, just, you know, whatever. It's like let's open this conversation. And anyway, a lot of other feminists kind of went, no, no, we can't have this because any sort of uh, sex, especially heterosexual sex, is just folding into the patriarchy and. Mm it's not okay until we kind of have a gigantic revolution and smash patriarchy to pieces, then it will be okay for women to have sex with men, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Right. So this, this became known as the feminist sex wars because there really was kind of a war within feminism at this time, enough that I think the conference kind of blew up, you know. Mm-hmm. So what's left of that is still this conversation around how do women do sex and sexuality and sexual representation under patriarchy when mm-hmm. we exist in misogynistic cultures and this is true how do we find a positive sexuality in that kind of framework and this is a question I think I'm really interested in and and it it comes down to nitty-gritty like things like the orgasm gap you know and Mm. for me it's a it's about you know we don't have the same (laughs) I can see you nodding and smiling tell
0: me what's the orgasm gap for anyone (laughs) who doesn't know
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. And I forget the percentages, but if men have and orgasm, that, something like 90% of the time they have sex and women are having them at 65% or something like that. It's pretty close I think to those things. That's figures. even generous, yeah. Right, okay, yeah. And I'm kind of horrified by this stat, you know, what's going on. And I think from a really young age, I was like, okay, something's really up here with our culture or what we're telling women about how to be polite girls who, you know, keep their legs together and don't mm-hmm. explore their bodies and don't even know their bodies maybe very well. And Yeah. So I mean, a life of thinking through these things and feeling like the gender binary just didn't serve me as a kid either. It kind of shut me out of a lot Mm. of spaces. Turning my hand to photography and going, all right, let's look at representations in photography and women's sexuality, you know, so here we are. And just to kind of wrap that up, you know, I'm on a monologue, but just to wrap that up. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Very nice of you. Um, the, the feminist sex wars are still at play. You know, sort mm. of return to the question about launch culture. Here we are again in the 21st century, still having mainstream feminism say, you know, you're not okay the way you are. You need to be a respectable, good girl. Good girl sex is okay. Anything outside of that is not okay. Mm-hmm. So Ariel Levy was kind of the champion of that, and it just it just leaves out so many women. And I'm I'm loving. In the past few years, watching women like Cardi B go, you know what? I'm going to show you. I'm Absolutely. going to show you what it is. Here is my sexuality on screen. You know, it's Absolutely. just a beautiful thing. When Cardi B released WAP a couple of yep, years ago, I was, like, I was oh, about. she's just, yeah, she's just done my PhD in like four and a half minutes of what I'm taking for, you know, what like uptight middle-class white woman way of doing things. And she's got it down in four minutes. I'm like, okay, cool.
0: Great. 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 Here's down my here. dissertation. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Exactly. Yeah. Um. I actually ta- was talking about this in my intro to feminist therapy class. And we were talking about how Cardi B, I guess, was, found in some situation with her kid and the music video started playing and actually like asked them to turn it down because of their child, which like I'm all for the realities of like, you know, this, there is the ability for women like Cardi B to navigate both spaces of being Mm -hmm. a mother that wants to, you know, naturally introduce their child to sexuality in a development, developmentally appropriate manner. So in that maybe, compartmentalizing that but still being able to own like this is who I am and the music that I'm putting out I think there is space for both of this that we can you know have developmentally appropriate education for children and complete ownership of our
1: sexuality
0: Mm. I don't think that's you know
1: incompatible with one another yeah yeah I'm curious to hear your thoughts actually because I think there's such a uh, you know there's such a a divide or a shutdown of of, you know keeping children Sorry, let me rephrase Uh, this. The, The whole idea of the innocence of children, you know, and wanting to protect this innocence of children, I think we extend that in a particular way to women and young women as well, as if they have a kind of sexual innocence more so than boys and men do. You know, boys and men are somehow... Born with this kind of sexual knowledge, which is bullshit mm-hmm. that's total bullshit, but mm-hmm. that's the kind of social construction of things right yeah. yep, um but you know what's the i know you you're in, you're investigating some many more psychological threads than I am, and whether we do need to open up spaces for more broad conversation with children about yeah. these things absolutely you know, where, where's the obviously as you say age appropriate but you know. What what are your thoughts
0: on that? Uh, yeah, I mean, I can't say too much because I don't necessarily study children. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know yeah, sure. what would be the theories on when is it developmentally appropriate to be talking about these things. I think in a general non-academic way, my, my personal thoughts would be that we should be having these conversations with children early on in a way that doesn't make it such a taboo and something that is so, mm-hmm. you know, uncommon to touch. I think about also the ways in other cultures that have... um a healthier relationship even to alcohol, right? Something that has lower ages and talked about more within a community sense of using it appropriately compared to maybe in America where we say you can't have it till you're 21. You see this complete um, abuse of alcohol in college settings, you know, and I, I think about something like that, like the almost the taboo nature of it that makes it, yeah, a whole lack of education that results in a Whole set of systemic problems about our sexuality because of the lack mm. of knowledge. So, I mean, I'm all with you that, yeah, we need to be doing that with children and communicating to them in a way that doesn't shield them from the yeah, realities. Yeah. How do Just we raise do that? conversations?
1: Right. Yeah. How, when? Yeah. The, I mean, ooh, that's a tough, tough question. I think TV shows like Sex Education, I think, are to some degree filling that gap. You know, where you've mm-hmm. got a whole lot of teens now watching a TV show like that and going, oh, Absolutely. wow, this is. I mean, they're talking very frankly about the obvious stuff that we, we know they go through and think about and worry about. Mm-hmm. And then a central message throughout the whole TV show that says, you know, the best way to deal with all this stuff is to talk about it. Yeah, absolutely. It's open up with each other and with people who know, you know, and just talk.
0: <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. I mean, right. I think the internet is helping that in tremendous ways to be bringing that out And what I I do know also that, you know, like masturbating at a young age in childhood is very normal developmentally. And that's another thing that, you know, people will be like, oh, my God, my child's masturbating, you Mm. know, and kind of go into that panic state. But the reality is that's, again, normal development here. So, yeah, I mean, I think we need to have more conversations about this because otherwise we are just sending kind of people out into the void with no information.
1: Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah yeah mm-hmm. and then of course there's that panic that a lot of people are having around pornography you know where it's like oh but our kids are going to learn from pornography it's like well there's, there's good and bad to that and and maybe if you were having the conversations earlier and speaking directly to that also mm-hmm. but I guess you know and we're pointing the finger at, at sort of educators including parents but I I also think they're ill-equipped aren't they like oh 100% grossly ill-equipped
0: absolutely where do I go to read about how to do this do you know what I mean I mean I think part of the whole problem is like the patriarchy right because the patriarchy is who controls all the way at the top that controls media what Mm -hmm. if we had something like Netflix for pornography that had a more like expansive uh queer porn stuff that showed, you know, different power dynamics than the majority of porn that you find online um, that maybe would lessen the concern about, oh, they're going to learn from pornography, right? I mean, that is already, it's such a private thing that we can't have something like that on Netflix because of who controls the money at the very top. So, I mean, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. the, the problem is all the way at the top that has been controlling all this and like stamping it it all down right otherwise we would have more research more funding for these sorts of things to actually change I mean and that's where I
1: hope we go right yeah but you know what we talk about that kind of control and of course it's an economic control end of the day as well and it makes me think of the you've got the credit card companies also pulling their money out of spaces like oh my god my, my brain um that, you know, online spaces for sex workers and even just presenting uh, sexualized imagery or whatever, that you can't use their, their credit cards. It's, yep. yep. This isn't. I think it's the case here necessarily, but, you know.
0: Yep. I mean, Instagram, YouTube, yeah. right? They'll start blocking you for anything uh, related to sex or even the mention in your posts and things can change the algorithm for how people see you. So, I mean, we know this. Hmm. Maybe we need more people as psychologists coming forward to advocate for the mental health of, you know, access to healthy sex education. I know there are probably a lot of people in that space doing that sort of work. And we need more of that to actually create a larger larger political change in our systems, right, Mm -hmm. so that we have better – it's so tricky, though, because then you don't – I mean, it's. I guess it's better monitoring, like, what is considered educational versus – Provocative in a way that's inappropriate for people to see. And who gets to define Mm. that? Uh, They get to define it.
1: Exactly. Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah. I actually got one of my um, YouTube videos. It was interesting. It didn't, the YouTube video itself I recorded with a sex worker didn't get banned, but specifically the URL to their website got banned. And I was like, (laughs) okay. Uh Interesting. I know it's like interesting. And when I read their um, descriptions of what is banned, it's things that are posted for sexual gratification okay yeah which I thought was interesting I'm like right. how do we define so, that so, ple- so
1: pleasure is not okay
0: yeah 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 yeah. and what if you have like a foot fetish like what if can we post yeah. videos of our feet like where do we yeah. define like one sort of thing is like <laughs> this is okay this is bad I mean
1: yeah that's right yeah it's interesting oh god it's yeah and that question about who is defining it just persists doesn't it you know and and for me, I guess, related a little bit to my PhD, thinking yeah. about who does define these things. And it's still typically, probably in your country, as it is in mine, overwhelmingly middle-class white people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Overwhelmingly. You know, not yep. entirely, but overwhelmingly. You know, most of our mainstream media spaces are run thoroughly by middle-class white people, yep. you know, and that yep. I'm sure they produce some good content, but there's there's also a particular, there are particular aspects of middle-class white culture, which, you know, I... I my, I think it thanked my mum, I think, for a lot of the ways that she 's shaped my thinking about women 's sexuality and also class my dad around class as well, but I will never forget this moment when I must have been about ten or eleven and there was this terrible decision by a judge in my hometown around a woman who was raped she was a sex mm-hmm. worker, and the guy who raped her got off, you know all charges dropped, and it made some some pretty big news yeah, you shake yeah. your head my and That's my mum just got out of her chair, her anger was just able to recognize again recognize all of these kinds of sexualities and that woman's sexual experience was valid and valuable you know um and then at the same time you know my parents sort of coming from this working class back, background but having these middle class tastes and you know aesthetic tastes in music and culture and right. uh education and you know and that's going kind to of put me on a path to now really d- definitively being in those kinds of spaces so i kind of feel like i understand to a, a reasonable degree what those cultures of taste mean and how mm-hmm. they can be how can how they can feel at once to a middle-class person like they're they're real and true and valuable to you but if you're the one with power you know if you have more power than certain other people in your society then they can actually be places of violence and that sounds like an extreme thing that's... to say but yeah. they you know they can and it's it's not again it's not that we have to therefore completely get rid of our tastes or change what we like you know but it's about including others and listening to what they like and need and if a woman says i want to show myself on instagram like kim kardashian does and i'm going to take seven selfies every day and do that that is valid and valuable and we at least need to interrogate the kind of classism that exists in in the way that we assess these things
0: A hundred percent. Yeah. You said violence might even be too far. I mean, I would say it's not. I mean, think about the rapist that was let off. I mean, that is violence at its core, right? For that person. And so, I mean, I think what you're hitting on is so true that when we have that power, it's so important to be reflecting on the ways that we are excluding people through that and to Mm -hmm. be conscious of that. And I'm so thankful that we have this space to talk about this. I think one thing that comes to mind for me that I've been thinking about is even the act of sex work, right? Like as within feminist circles, there's sometimes a little bit of pushback on supporting sex work because it's, Mm. you know, an objectification, it's playing into the patriarchal system of viewing, you know, specifically women and femme bodies as sex objects. Yep. In my personal opinion, I would like to ask why is that a problem if we change the power dynamic to make money off of that mm-hmm. that that is power in and of itself to say fuck you pay me for this service yeah. that was once a property piece of marriage for women for centuries mm-hmm. to now take mm-hmm. it over to be like pay me why do we have
1: problems with that yeah it's such a great question
0: yeah and I specifically even further um ask you know like as a clinician and training, right, I open up parts of my mind and my headspace and my focus to sit with clients. And a lot of people will say, oh, well, you know, sex work comes with all this trauma and all this, you know, like, mm-hmm. ah. and I'm like, you know, as a clinician and training, like I come with, uh, that involves a ton of caring of other people's stories, traumas that can have vicarious trauma as well. Like, Mm -hmm. in the game of capitalism that i play i am selling access to my personhood my body in some ways like what makes it any different when it's you know my mental headspace versus my genitalia
1: totally yeah yeah you're still selling your wares as well right but you but you of course your work occupies a so-called legitimized space in middle class culture and again we say middle class dominates you know they get to choose they're agen- we we i should say we are are agenda setters you know and so th- there's this value system and i think it yeah i think it really i mean it plays out in so many ways but of course my focus has been on the visual you know and it plays out yeah. in a visual language often mm-hmm, often mm-hmm, um mm-hmm. and it, it's it's been an interesting Uh, process for me over the sort of three or four years that I've done my PhD and kind of coming out of this professional photography space where I've had to really self-interrogate as well because of course I have folded into that you know legitimizing culture if you like like my Mm -hmm. images so I should also say with my PhD that the research design was focused on meeting with women who take sexy selfies on Instagram and actually doing a photo shoot with them Mm -hmm. saying to them hey you know treat me as if you've commissioned a professional photographer tell me what you want to do yeah. let's design it together but I want to hear what you want to do um and then we would go off and you know do this shoot yeah. over like half a day so it was great fun and I, I really had such a good That's time amazing. you know and yeah I think it was really kind of beneficial to both of us in different ways um so I had about eight women I did that with and there was so much that I had to Think about and, and um, you know, I'm sort of smiling and thinking about how I had to confront my own judgments. Yeah, things I carried for a long time about what made a good photo you know, what made just generally, mm. whether it was like a sexy sure. photo or otherwise, there was always this sense that there's something inherently good about particular aesthetics, mm. as if it comes, you know, like, like the, the example I used before of having Kate Blanchard or any kind of top line actor or someone we know and respect present themselves in a sexy selfie. Then that goes into an art gallery or something like that. That is an inherently good thing. It's not an inherently good thing. It's just that meaning has been made by particular groups of people who have a particular level of power mm. in society to make that meaning absolutely. Or <laughs> it- it dictate what makes a good photo, so to speak. Right. Mm-hmm. I- That because I was like, I'd carried this sense that good photography means you straighten the lines here or you light in this particular way, and hey, presto, that's a great photo. But actually, it's just what my tastes are, and that that those tastes accord with middle class tastes. And that Mm -hmm. affords me that knowledge I have, and the ability to make a photo like that affords me access to high end middle and upper class spaces in visual culture. I can shoot the magazine cover, you know, I can put my work in a gallery and I can be rewarded for that. I can be socially rewarded. I can be financially rewarded for it because it's legitimised, right? Yeah. It's legitimate in terms of culture, so mm-hmm. to speak. So, <laughs> you know, so I, yeah, so a lot of what I wrote about was this uh, confrontation I yeah. had with myself around, wow, what is this thing that I do? And it's not all that it, it, it's not what it's cracked up to be. It's not what I thought it was.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's just culturally, yeah.
1: culturally, you know, it's culturally determined by people who can do that culturally, cultural determination. Absolutely. <laughs> been a part of that, you know.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. The politics of aesthetic, right? The patriarchy yeah, yeah, behind yeah. the aesthetic. I'm also thinking about even what we consider to be beautiful, right? Like. Right, Yeah. White, thin bodies, and then we mm-hmm. have, you know, people of color, bipoc individuals, queer individuals, people that define gender norms. I mean, those bodies are not seen in yep. the art studio on advertisement. granted, I think it is getting better mm-hmm. um as we as you know, corporate uh, commercial <laughs> people realize they kind of got to play the game and that's it change. You know, I think that's what what is happening. I mean, if if that's how we have to do it, that's how we have to do it. But, it is hopefully getting better, but on the grander level, like what is considered beautiful is full of power of the people who, yeah, own the studio, decide who gets to be shown in that art space.
1: Oh, yeah. Ugh. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> My head's going in a thousand different places. I know. This right? is the you fun. the <laughs> <laughs> Calls again right <laughs>
0: mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that's also why I like to keep the podcast completely open because I'm like we could rabbit hole down like a whole mile yeah. and just have fun with that I'm also thinking about the fact that like me as someone who's going into a professional career and you might feel this as well being someone with a PhD where I'm a little bit apprehensive to post a sexy selfie because what does that mean as a future clinician that I would have that out there
1: yep Ah, uh, look, I really hear you on that. So <laughs> when I finished my PhD, when it was actually like done, done, I was, i uh, hopefully this is not an overshare, but I, I was Very in the bath and yeah. my partner brought the champagne into the bathroom, right? And so we poured a couple of glasses each and she sat the glass of champagne near the bath and I was, oh, sorry, I picked it up and then took a photo of me in this great big happy, you know, my face is like, yeah, I'm done with this. So it's, it's a really Absolutely. joyful kind of thing. And so there's like a, uh, you know, there's some, some nudity in there and this kind of glee. And we both went, oh, we should put this on the socials and celebrate. It's not a selfie, but it's, you know. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. And it's whatever else, you know, and happy. And I was like, I don't know if I can do this because, you know, my Twitter feed is full of people I want to work with down the track maybe. And is it risky for me to do that? And here I was again, confronting this terrible tension between championing women's right to self sex you know to be sexy in images as they see fit sexy selfies and really push this and then go oh hold on I I don't know about doing it for myself
0: absolutely (laughs) because there's consequences I mean you
1: know yeah that's right Mm -hmm. yeah and that's the thing isn't it for women in so many respects there are consequences of displaying your sexuality in a way that fits for you outside of those norms you identified before Mm -hmm. there are still consequences
0: Absolutely, because the patriarchy still has control, right? right? For the most part, you know, like yes. And so there are so many real <clears throat> losing my voice here. There are so many real consequences to these actions. Um, and I'm also thinking about how it's almost like the aspects of um women and femme identity can only be, mm. you know, certain things. Even like the concept of motherhood, once you become a mom. You know, being able to post Mm -hmm. sexy selfies then almost conflates your motherhood identity. How could you be sexy and a mom?
1: Yeah, that's right. That's right. It's not the the proper way to be a mother, is it? Mm -mm. Not the proper respectable. (laughs) Yeah, yes, so many levels. Which is
0: why I've been really appreciating Rihanna in her pregnancy and the full, like, Yeah, I'm pregnant and I'm going to dress sexy because I can. This is my Mm -hmm. body and that ownership over that. I think that is a novel representation in media compared to motherhood as this, you know, again, demure, you know, we're in our little thing, you know, whatever, compared to like sexual ownership of the beauty of the feminine body in pregnancy and motherhood.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So fantastic, isn't it? You Mm -hmm. know, and black women again doing that work. For the rest of us, you know, I think in so many ways, it's just it's, it's Absolutely. so powerful.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It's, so you posted the picture.
1: I didn't. I didn't do it. Oh, yeah. shoot. <laughs> Not, right? it's yeah. I It's still saying It could maybe, uh, <laughs> maybe I after. Yeah, I, I know, quit.
0: right? I know. I know.
1: I mean, oh, it's all I, personal. I got you nervous. too nervous. Yeah. yeah yeah it's just it's just not the kind of thing I guess I've ever really done but you know um and one of the questions that one of my PhD examiners raised was mm-hmm. was there a point at which you did your own sexy selfies you know and would you talk to that and I I didn't really dabble in it I don't yeah you know here I am talking yeah. about it but not doing it yeah is that a problem? no maybe it is
0: we can explore maybe. it and, and and talk about it you know like I think that Because, I mean, there's also space for people that want to reserve their body and keep that private, Mm. Like, right? Part of, at least in my opinion, part of feminism and my, in general, political views are that people should have choice, right? And so like, it's not like you have to put your whole body out there to be a feminist and to be liberal. That is a choice that you can make. And so for the person who wants to post the selfie, hell yes, post it. Person that doesn't, hell yes, great you know what i mean yeah. so like it comes down to you and what you want to do there's no like you don't you know like and this reminds me of even the gender politics you were talking about of um feminism at the beginning where a lot of feminists would be like you can't have sex with a man because you're having sex with the patriarchy you know mm-hmm, like you have mm-hmm. to be a lesbian to be a real feminist yeah. again i th- no, right like it comes down to right. that choice piece and that's what we want as everyone to have the empowerment to make that choice with their bodies without judgment and shame
1: yeah, totally. Yep, yeah, yeah. That, that makes me think a little even of the queer movement, you know, when there was a push so much so, particularly in the 80s and, and probably the 90s as well, where, you know, there was this, you've got to come out, you've got to come out of yeah. the closet and you've got to be visible and this real, mm-hmm. you know, need for the visibility factor. And I, I understand that to a large degree. It's like we can't advance this movement unless you come out and, you know, be out and proud. And, of course, for a lot of people it was terrifying and Absolutely. legitimately <laughs> would put them at risk of Actual violence to do that, you know, whether yep. in their home or or out, outside of the home, um, and they couldn't make that choice, you know. And it's not, I, I'm not, I guess, I'm not. I shouldn't conflate the two things that women's representations of their own sexuality is not exactly the same thing as the queer movement, but there's a yeah. relationship of sorts, you know. Absolutely. Um, and I, I guess, my thinking has always been. I remember really early on, too, my in like young years, just kind of feeling like women were not, you know, the hot, that like classic it's kind of cliche but that classic stuff of girls and women being taught to be quiet you know not not raise your voice not question authority and be a good girl this good girl thing comes up again whereas boys are much more encouraged to be you know so for them it's assertive for women it's aggressive all that stuff is there and that uh plays into you know confidence levels so for a long time I've had this kind of drive to okay men and patriarchy are not going to help us they're not going to fix the situation for us wouldn't it be lovely if they did but they're probably not going to do that they're not really invested in that Mm -hmm. (laughs) for ourselves you know we've got to form some like you know allegiances and 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 solidarity movements that raise our consciousness and raise our confidence Yeah. And then this comes back to, and then we won't have an orgasm gap. Maybe <laughs> we weren't all that right. <laughs> Absolutely. It's mm-hmm. more than just about orgasms, but that's a pretty damn good starting point. I think.
0: Yes. Yes. A hundred percent. The pleasure gap. Like that sexual is-
1: pleasure. It's the pleasure gap. Yeah. Yes, yeah. Yeah. It's yes. fundamental really, you know, to a, a sort of vital way of living. I think.
0: Mm-hmm. And because we know that at the root of the pleasure, the orgasm gap, right, at that root is years of misogyny and exactly right. what you've been talking about of, yeah. oh, women aren't sexual at all. I mean, when we think back to the <laughs> early history of psychology, we would call, you know, um, nymphomaniacs women that mm-hmm. had any sex drive. Oh, my God. You know what I mean? Yeah, so, I mean, right we're still recovering from years of that sort of teaching at the highest levels of science and education. And so that has trickled down in multiple ways that we are still unpacking. And I think, yeah, one of the results of that is the orgasm gap, 100%. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. yeah. And I I remember uh, one of my, the particip- participants in my project in my PhD project yeah. told me this horrific story about she was so she would be 21 maybe something like that okay. so just a few years out of high school mm-hmm. and she went to an all-girls school and there was a you know all- boys school down the road and they kind of had a relationship and did their you know theater together and whatever else mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and she said that the boys at the school there were three girls schools in the area and the boys would rank the girls school according to their like slutty factor right so if one of the boys managed to sleep with one of the girls from school a he got a score of one because they were like the slutty ones if you slept with a girl from school b he got a score of two and then a score of three for the third one where the girls were like you know less accessible and more respectable and therefore you scored more highly if you could sleep with one of the girls there right Mm -hmm. and so she tells me this story of course with this terrible amount of disgust at how the boys were treating them and Mm -hmm. i just this will come as no news to you. I'm sure you know that this kind of thing exists and, you know, most women are highly aware of this. But what really struck me was that this was the kind of shit that was going on when I was at high school Mm. 20 years, 20 plus years ago. And it's like this hasn't shifted. Mm -hmm. It hasn't shifted. I'm hoping someone can tell me, no, 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 it really it has shifted a little bit. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe because Cardi B is making the videos and the music that she's doing. Maybe Rihanna's pregnancy photos. Maybe that's an indication that it shifted. And I, I, I'm an optimist, you know. I, I work in a in a space in my head where it's like, well, we we're moving forward. Yes, <laughs> it's in inches, but it, yes. we are moving forward.
0: Yes, I yes. I mean, I think. God, I should know. I don't know who I recorded with on the podcast, but once we had said this quote, we're like, This is the best it will ever be and the worst it will ever be, in oh, yeah. in theory, right? And as we hope as we progress in an upward direction, not downward. Mm-hmm. Um so in many ways I think yes it is getting better with the it personally I think it's getting better with the power of the internet and just normalizing even the fact that we can have this conversation and that I sure. post this onto a podcast that people are listening to I mean mm-hmm. this is amazing back you know 100 200 years ago women didn't have the control of media like this to even put out yeah. ideas like this so yes, I mean I like to true. think yes will we see it fully in our lifetime Probably not, right? Like that's the realistic of the power is so much in everyday things of media, the world, the history, what people are learning in education. I mean, so no, I don't think that we might see the benefits of it, but I do think that we are creating ripples and waves, just like the early feminists were in their time too, that will
1: kind of echo out to be better, I I hope, you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. I, I think so. I think you're right, and I think also, you know, as we we uh, in many Western countries begin to break the shackles of religion, actually, I'm back at religion again. <laughs> and we are, I think, we are breaking those shackles. It's a, it's going to be a slow process, you know. And I know that there's a stronghold in America that we probably don't have in Australia. It's pretty frightening in some respects where you are, yep. Um, in certain sections of the country as well. But um, but I think we are gradually breaking them, and that you know, religion this kind of heavy duty Christian religion has really tied carefully to patriarchy. We know this very well. Um, and as people start saying, you know what, there's another way to do this. We don't need this. Absolutely. I think, I think spaces will open up where, where women and, and all kinds of people who have not sat in that mold of very heavily structured, you know, father figure patriarchal religion, because it doesn't serve most men either. Mm-hmm. you know, as we break from that, maybe yep. we'll, yeah, yeah. Go ahead. You were going to say something in.
0: So, you know, like even that question of, does it serve men? We have to remember men have the highest suicide rates later in life. Yeah. Right. So, I mean, cause I've even asked that, like, what if the men are just happy at the top ruining everyone else's lives? But like, <laughs> You know what I mean? Like the suicide rates are significantly higher and, and successful suicide rates. So yeah, the men under this patriarchal structure aren't happy either. Way right. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um. In my class, we've, we there's actually a discussion about religion and how do we hold space for religious and traditional values. And I think this has been something that has been really hard for me to try and think about because as a queer person that was brought up in a f- more fundamentalist Christian environment, yep. I felt the layers of misogyny and patriarchy when I was told that I could – would have to be a stay at home mom if I had children. That I could never hold a position of authority in the church. That purity culture and all of that sort. Of, you know. So I mean, I think this is even a hard question too. Of like, how do we as feminists hold space for the women and femme individuals that choose to align with religion, knowing that yeah. it has so much cultural influence of the patriarchy through it? And like, mm. is it possible to pull the cultural conditioning of patriarchy out of religion? I don't have answers yeah, to that, right?
1: Such a great question. I mean, I yeah, there's I'm living in San Francisco and meeting people who were attending and I forget the name of the church, but there were maybe a Baptist church or something mm-hmm. where it was really not only was it queer friendly, it was kind of just run by queer people, you know? So it was just like come as you are kind yeah. of thing, you know? And we genuinely have space for you here. And it was the yeah. first time I had considered that religion could be friendly. Even remotely friendly, you know, to people who sat outside of those generally typically heterosexual, you know, exactly. patriarchal, all the things have been saying. But uh,
0: exactly. Yeah, it's tough, isn't it? Yeah. And I think that might be the difference is like, how do we understand the early original texts and can we interpret them in a way that can strip away the patriarchal influences to allow space for queer people, to allow space for femme and uh, women leadership? And I think that's possible. And I think we're seeing examples of that. Um, but yeah, I, I personally have a problem with the patriarchal concepts that your purity is in, in value as a woman, particularly, which is really emphasized here is tied to your sexual purity. That if you sleep with multiple people, you are somehow less sexually pure. And I am, All four people who choose to wait until marriage, like, sure, if that's your choice and that's That's what you want to do, that's Mm -hmm. great. And, you know, like chastity is a kink. That's a kink that people practice where they say, I want to wait, you know, X amount of time so that I get really, really turned on and Uh have to sit through that. So like, hell yeah, do that, wait. But we don't want to do that because if I were to sleep with someone, then somehow I'm lesser. That's where I – yeah. Yeah.
1: If there's some kind of moral obligation. Exactly. Yes. It's this kind of ongoing, uh, you know, ways that religion and obviously patriarchy write, right, like W-R-I-T-E, morality onto women's bodies. And I, I just, how is it we got to a place where sex became so, you know, freaking weird for people who <laughs> ascribe to certain religions? And I, I have respect choice again if you, you know, choose to be, uh religious to follow a certain way thing but it, yeah. it seems there was this a long time back there was this kind of it's like let's I don't know you know <laughs> sex is a thing we're going to focus on and make it this unholy and especially for women Absolutely. especially for the ways that women's bodies perform and I, I actually wonder yeah. you know I mean let me go somewhere weird now but <laughs> <laughs> do it <laughs> for it all right, all right. so my very loose theory and unacademic theory is that, you know, men have got a long standing fear of women's bodies, right? This is not, and sorry, this is not my theory. This is well accepted, of course, by many, many feminists, but mm-hmm. that women present this great enigma to them. They perform, they can have, you know, they can make babies, right? Like they're pretty incredible. And women's sexual power is such that men, felt the need to suppress it you know I would go as far as saying maybe even created religion to be able to do that you Mm -hmm. know to kind of justify this Mm -hmm. (laughs) and then ascribe uh the the morality of the day right onto women's bodies so Mm -hmm. that they could justify the control of women's bodies the regulation of women's bodies the policing of women's bodies Mm -hmm. and we see it in new forms you know and and I think there are aspects of mainstream feminism even that have adopted that where it's yeah, it's just it's caught up in judging it as a, an issue of concern. Ranch culture is a, a place of concern because women might become what? What might they become? What might happen? <laughs> what is going to happen? Exactly. <laughs> the society is going to be torn apart, right? If mm-hmm. Instagram, you
0: know? Yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. Yeah. The only other thing I've heard about is like the objectification playing into that objectification, which yeah. I think is a f- not a fair argument again, because you are taking the power dynamic back by charging and creating a establishing a working relationship of boundaries of what is consented to for the price mm. of what you're paying. So I, yeah. I, I think there is power in that just as much as again, any sort of form of capitalistic work relations so like I think that's a not a fair argument I am open to someone telling me more of the feminist argument of like why that's a problem but as you were thinking or as you were speaking I was also thinking about the fact that um maybe sexuality was confined and controlled to try and protect against STDs and STIs that were at the time yeah like I'm all for that because right because you you would die you know by having multiple partners you know and having that sort of but also like at the very core at least of christianity we see eve be the person that you know tempts man mm-hmm. and because of that that's why she has to go through birth and the pain of labor and all that sort of stuff so like even right. the mythology around yeah. women at its core the b- women's body is because she is sinful she's the one mm-hmm.
1: that tempted mm-hmm. and she's so responsible that- for the fall right oh
0: yeah. yes 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 and that fucking shit trickles into everything when you're like oh now women's bodies are tainted and closer to satan more you know like and that will just pervade everything so i think we are still as a society given how prolific christianity was in the white culture that dominated colonial thinking at the time and Mm -hmm. spread all over when we are still healing from Mm -hmm. that violence
1: yeah 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 you've really hit on it i think and it's going to be some time yet isn't it yeah 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 yep you know the other thing i'm thinking about that you were just talking about women's presentations of self Mm -hmm. and you know the the objectification discourses that come out and and especially this particularly offends a lot of feminism as well that says oh well you know she's self-objectifying um i think there's a there's a dialogue to be had around desire and we don't really mm. talk about you know we talk about desire often enough and by that I mean you know some of the women I worked with in my PhD would say things to me and it took a while for them to get to this point because I could see they felt like it wasn't okay to say but once we got to a trusting place they would talk about it and they would say something like you know I actually don't mind if men are enjoying you know, straight men are enjoying the images that I'm putting up. I don't mind if they're jerking off to my images or loving my body and responding to me. I'm I'm good with that, you know. And I'm like, yeah, okay. This is the kind of conversation that seems unfeminist, right? Mm. This is the kind of like oh, self objectifying, and you're inviting the male gaze. And mm. this this idea of the male gaze, which persists from 1970s feminist theory has become shorthand for the sexual objectification of women and contained in that is the idea that it's a bad thing. Mm-hmm. It's not going yep. a bad thing. Yep. And I think that for me there hasn't been enough feminist critique around what is it to be a woman who wants to be desired by men? Mm under these misogynist structures and in a place where historically it has been a a place of violence, it can be a place of violence for women, absolutely, Absolutely. the male gaze and the ways that men treat and handle women and or representations of women. You know, cultures of of cinema for a long time have been awful for women, you know, literally on set and the ways they're presented to audiences. So there's no denying that kind of thing and we have a long way to go to right those wrongs as well. But there's just this question that hangs around for me about desire and you know, the, the need and want to have sex. Yeah. And is it okay? Is it okay to desire being desired? Mm.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's a great question. <laughs> I'm, as you were speaking, I was thinking about the, uh, the male gaze thinking about even concepts of like body hair, right? Like, Oh, I'm going to post oh, yeah. a naked, naked selfie. Like, can I, you know, have full natural body hair? I mean, I would say within the male gaze, in in theory, right? No. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so, like, yeah, can we get? But then, it's also interesting to me because we're reaching. Are we maybe reaching a point where we can just decide? Like, you, yeah. no, we we we're not there yet, right? Because in theory, like, how many natural hair-bodied people do I see in media? Other things. Mm-hmm. Other representations, no. Like, that is not socially accepted yet. But, like, we might be getting to a point where we're starting to be able to have the choice of things like that and mm-hmm. things like being like, yeah, I want to be desired by the male gaze because it's what I want. Like, it's the consent piece of that. Like, I'm consenting to this.
1: Yeah. But
0: it is kind of – I'm thinking it's almost hard to inextricably, inextricably separate the male gaze and that patriarchal control, things like even body hair and stuff like that Mm. in what I'm presenting to be even desired you know what I'm saying
1: yeah so are you saying then that that the way that women you know overwhelmingly present where there's of course still devoid of body hair and things like that obviously ties to what we started speaking about was slim white you know smooth smooth skinned
0: feminine
1: you know in that conventional kind of way That those kinds of aesthetics still dominate and so we are tied to a particular male gaze, which is still yes. maybe <laughs> omnipresent or something. Yes. Mm. That's the
0: fear, right? Maybe, yeah. right. That we're still playing into that. And but also like, we can take ownership of it. Right. I mean, I'm just really yeah. caught up in that question too. Of, yeah. Like, but then it's like, what is the female gaze? How do we define that? What is yeah. the female gaze like? Fuck the male gaze. Okay. You know, like, And lesbians might be a great example of this. Like, you know, like what is within the female gaze? And then we could ask, like, are we playing into the male gaze or the female gaze or just human gaze? You know what I mean? Like, when are we playing into it versus when are we actually in our own liberation?
1: Yeah, uh, look, it's such a great question. It makes me think also of one of the participants I worked with, a woman called Mm -hmm. Michelle, who does a lot of selfies, from the neck down her Instagram feed is full of just lingerie lingerie fetish and Mm -hmm. just every photo is some beautiful lingerie she's recently bought and she talked to me about doing the photos for her like and she really you know we hear this and we kind of go I, I can just hear a lot of you know mainstream feminism academic feminism kind of saying oh no she's not really doing it for herself she says that but she doesn't mean that this kind of call of false consciousness but Michelle looked me in the eye and she said, These are for me. And she was absolutely believable in that moment. You know, like I I believe her. She does these photos for herself. If that involves the male gaze in some way, because perhaps there's an inevitability to that, she was on terms with that. She's thought that through. She's there. The power is hers. You know, I really feel that. Yep. And yet I also look at her feed and I think I know that a lot of these images are going to be received by a mainstream audience as so-called belonging to the male gaze mm-hmm. she's doing this because of patriarchal structures yeah. you know she's presenting it you know, and it's like how do we how again how do we present can we as women present in a sexy way that is for us mm. that actually is outside of those gay structures
0: a hundred percent Yeah, that's a great question. And as a queer woman, like I find that sexy. So now that person, yeah, exactly. So that person is a result of now my feminine gaze. I don't even think this is a conversation that maybe like feminism was having, like, what is the feminine sexual gaze?
1: Yeah. And how do we define that? Yeah, that's great. Yeah. I love that.
0: I, I, yeah, it's exciting. We're getting into the yeah. space of ownership to even possibility say, now. Yes, exactly. Then to have that ownership for that participant in your study to be like, yeah, this is for me. And mm. I think that is liberating. And I, I think it bothers me even when feminists come in to say, oh, that person doesn't know what she's thinking. You know, even that sort of like patriarch, that's a
1: patriarchal understanding. In totally. way of it, itself. it says, I know more than you yep. do. Yep. I know more about yep. you than yep. you do.
0: Yep. 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 <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So the best thing I think we need to do is listen to people right? and honor what people say. And so if she says yeah. it's empowering to her, then fuck yeah, it's empowering.
1: Yeah. All power of that, right?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 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 I want to be conscious of our time. Do you feel like there was sure. anything that maybe you didn't hit on today that was still lingering for you that you wanted to talk about?
1: the only the very last thing yeah. just while we're talking about the gaze and ownership and you know who I'm making photos for was just to sort of finish with a story about Michelle yeah. by saying that at the end of the paper that I wrote on it's kind of a case study working with her and then thinking through this concept of what I was calling her seenness seenness mm. s and it's a way, I think, to reframe how we see these kind of male gaze structures when it comes to sexy images of women, whether they've made them for themselves or whether they're done by somebody else. We often, I think, figure or privilege the gaze first. It's like, how is this going to be seen? You know, what, mm. what, uh, how is the audience receiving this? And that is really what is underneath the idea of this constant attention on the so-called male gaze. And yeah. I don't think we give enough attention to the ways that the woman in the image wants to be seen, just like what we've been talking about. So I gave it a name. It's like, well, let's talk about her seenness and let's listen to what she's saying about how she would like to be seen. Mm -hmm. And there's a whole lot of academic work, like quite recent academic work that's being done on listening, like, like really kind of deep listening to what somebody is telling you or what somebody is writing down and ways to actually do that that we may not have considered before. And I like to take that concept and put it onto a yeah. visual, into a visual space. It's like, yes. well, how do we see in, in, in a similar way to deep listening, yeah. let's see in a different way that is about this, This, you know, this doesn't like remove the male gaze or deconstruct it completely. It doesn't sure. provide a panacea to the issues of misogynist looking. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But I think it's nice to maybe just try to reframe the way we do it by putting ourselves in her space as much as we can in her, in her, you know, shoes and how she wants to be seen.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. I think that is a great focus on the person and what they're going for and what it means to them. And at the end of the day, we can't control how other people look at us, right? Like that is outside of our locus of control. You know, again, I can be walking down the street in complete trash bags of things and someone can use the male gaze to look at me and project onto Mm -hmm. that, right? Like that is always going to be outside of our control too, right? So it's kind of like what I think what we should be focusing on is exactly what you mentioned. What is the intention? How do they want to be perceived? Because that's where the power is. This is a choice Mm. that they're doing and bringing out into the world. And that's the power, not necessarily in how other people are perceiving them. Yeah,
1: totally. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you nailed it.
0: Mm, this has been so fun. I mean, this I is agree. so exciting. Thanks so much. Yeah. To talk about like feminism and how the male gaze is in the deep, you know, aesthetics of our culture. I think this is a phenomenal
1: question. Mm. Yeah. 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 I, it's, it started for me. I'm, I'm going to start rolling on again, but i do this fine. quickly. No, you're good. Um, <laughs> When I was teaching photography, I was just doing uh, a couple of classes around studio-based work, and I had I was going back maybe eight years, something like that. Yeah. And one of my students was really interested in doing these interrogations of the male gaze, and so she did photos of Barbie dolls, you know, fuck mm. Barbie dolls, and then some photos of herself at home, and presented them and had these really rich conversations about the male gaze and how she wanted to push back and subvert them. And I was, you know, right there for this conversation. Yeah. I was quite halfway through her presentation. I thought to myself, damn, we can't escape this. Even if Mm. we're trying to subvert it, it's there, you Mm -hmm. know, and and the fact of even making these images brings up this conversation again about the male gaze. It it, it gives it life again, if you like, Mm -hmm. you know. So I was like, damn, we're making political images against it or we're making them for ourselves, whatever it might be, we're still confronting this issue of the male gaze. Mm -hmm. And I think that's probably why I went into this space of going, well, let's just stop making that as the default way of encountering images and think about who is in the image and what she wants to tell us. So yeah, it was was very confronting to be sort of in, you know, deep in mainstream visual culture in Australia and just kind of go, wow, this really is a big thing that is very difficult to, even if you want and you're willing your own um, sexuality or viewpoint across, Mm -hmm. you still, you know, It's still got this patriarchal structure, which is going to hit you each time. (laughs)
0: Yep. A hundred percent. And that's, and that's why we're afraid to post pictures of ourselves. Right. And even this comes
1: back to, yeah, my bath photo, right? (laughs) Exactly.
0: Exactly. And even me, I'm thinking, um, now, like I have thought about doing laser hair removal on my bikini Mm -hmm. line. Yep. Am I falling into patriarchal concepts of beauty? So then is the feminine gaze of beauty pure naturalness? What if I don't want pure naturalness because I just like the clean aesthetics of a straight line that's controlled? I mean, you do things like braces. I mean, granted, there's a more functionalness to that of your teeth to eat. But also, what if I just like clean, straight lines?
1: Yeah, totally. Yeah. It, it,
0: these are questions I grapple with yeah. too with myself where yeah. I'm like, am I falling into the patriarchy or am I taking liberation? Because to me, it's an aesthetic that I like. Yeah. This is so tricky, but yeah.
1: Yeah. You, eventually you end up in questions around free choice. Of course. It's like, am I freely making this choice for myself? Or has this been informed by, you know, I've been colonized by patriarchal views and that's why I'm choosing it. And it's just, the amount of time you're probably the same. The amount of time I spend thinking about yep. that very thing with my yep. own behaviors.
0: <laughs> yep, yep, yep. You're just like, oh. <laughs> and also, yeah. it's 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 un it's unavoidable that we as social creatures are going to be influenced by people. Patriarchy or yeah. not, granted, patriarchy has controlled it for a long fucking time. But no matter what, we are going to be, you know, influenced by other people. So, can we ever make a free choice?
1: Exactly. Yeah. It's yeah. Probably yep. not.
0: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Probably not.
1: So what's the difference between getting our teeth whitened, for example, which is kind of socially acceptable, and yeah. getting a boot just still like ugh, looked down the nose upon a little, you know? Yeah, that's what's a, the gr- Damn, that's a great comparison. Attention. And Shit. a woman should have the right to present how she sees fit for herself, right? which hmm? But she's against cultural value and, and I come back to my old, you know, middle class values and middle class class taste aesthetics
0: yeah yeah absolutely I think centering then on the freedom of choice centering Mm. on the consent of the individual to make that decision and that's where the power lies I hope that's where feminism kind of directs itself on yeah the freedom to choose and there's that power
1: yeah absolutely And here we are talking today and choosing to speak with each other and raising the conversation. Absolutely,
0: absolutely. Yeah, it's very powerful. And I'm excited to have you here. There is one question I do ask everyone on the podcast to close. Yeah. And this question is, what is one thing that you wish other people knew was more normal? and take your time. I still have my whole tea. Wow. There's no yeah, rush. That's okay.
1: That I knew that, uh, that I wish other people knew was more normal. Okay. It's yes. a really great question. Yes. Um, <laughs> I mean, I just, the, the obvious thing for me, and I'm sure you've had other guests say this, but that women masturbate that they often do it from a young age and that they watch pornography and enjoy it and they get pleasure from pornography. There are many reasons that people consume pornography. One of them for women is that they enjoy it. Mm-hmm. That's what I think. The sooner we can normalize that, the better. It's pretty fucking common.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. Women are sexual. Yeah. 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 Well, I yeah. really appreciate you coming on the podcast and sharing all about your wisdom and your expertise with sexuality and aesthetics. It's been such a fun conversation just to bounce off yeah, ideas with you.
1: Yeah. Uh, look, I really appreciate you having me on, Nicole. It really has been a pleasure. Oh, Thanks so much.
0: Yeah, of course. Is there anywhere you want to plug for people to find your
1: work? So people. Uh, find yeah.
0: Yeah. Plug yeah, there's away. A
1: little, a little, there's a combination of my photographic work and also the photos that came out of my PhD on my Instagram Uh, you know my Instagram account so they can find that's just it's a weird one it's Emma E-W-M-A Tremora T-R-E-M-O-R-A so that's my that was my my dad's attempt at a a Celtic middle name for my (laughs) (laughs) didn't actually quite come off but that's another story yeah (laughs) Emma Instagram yeah come check it out
0: sounds good yeah I'll have it all linked below so that way people can find it easy peasy yeah
1: thanks so much of course
0: If you enjoyed today's episode, then leave us a five-star review wherever you listen to your podcast. And if you're a part of the anarchist community, then follow us on Instagram or nominate a guest for the show by sending in a letter to modernanarchypodcast at gmail.com. Otherwise, I'll see you next week.